I'm Claire Fallon. And I'm Emma Gray. And this is Love to See It, an obsessively detailed recap podcast about reality dating shows like The Bachelor and other pop culture that makes us laugh, cry, and curse the patriarchy. We can't live with these shows and we can't live without them, but we can break down every juicy moment and unpack all the weird messages these shows send us about love, sex, and dating. Welcome to Love to See It, a podcast about the misery inflicted on women by heterosexuality and also somehow the transcendent joy of finding your Mr. Darcy. Today, we're going to do a big old bonus episode to cover the finales of The Courtship and also Temptation Island. And suffice it to say that it's a roller coaster. Like we love love, we kind of hate love, we definitely want better for everyone, specifically all the women. Yeah. I think that these days we're wanting better for everyone a lot. Um, There's no easy way to get into this, but I'm sure we're not alone, Emma and I, in having had a really, really tough week emotionally. We're all dealing with a sort of a constant onslaught of horrific tragedies and assaults on our civil rights. And um, this week was, I mean, just a continuation in that. But specifically, I know we've all been been really hurting after this tragic shooting at an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas, where 19 children and two teachers were killed. Um, and uh, many students and uh, were also injured in this shooting and um it's just it's hard to even know sorry I'm crying already it's hard to know what to say um it's been it is so difficult to live in a country where there is such a constant onslaught of trauma. Uh, you know, I saw a tweet recently, like we don't even have, seem to have the space to properly grieve each tragedy before another one arises. Um, and obviously all of that is compounded by the fact that we are essentially being held hostage by the Republican party, which is, um, inexplicably extremely resistant to change or perhaps looking at the NRA, uh, less inexplicably, but it is very frustrating to essentially feel like you're living um, in a country with so many resources and and no will to actually do the thing that needs to be done to protect its citizens, especially you know its um its youngest ones. And like, I'm not a parent, but Claire is, and I have a lot of friends who have kids, and I love children, and they're you know we were kids and we were kids when Columbine happened. And I think it's just feels like a real tragedy to see things have only gotten um, so, so much worse in the intervening, in the intervening years. And we just want to hold space for all of you who 
might be feeling some similar things and might be trying to process something that feels completely impossible to to grapple with and kind of go on with our lives. And yet here we are. Yeah. Um, uh, it's very hard to to talk about these these things and and keep your composure because it is um, it's so painful and it's hard not to feel powerless and it's important that we all try not to give in to that feeling and that we organize and that we um, activate you know that that we yeah. really be involved in in pushing for for better policy for radical change on so many fronts right now um but you know at the moment it, you know there's so many people who are living in in fear of so many kinds you know of reproductive coercion of um you know i think trans and lgbt children especially but all people in the queer community are facing an onslaught of really horrific uh legislation to restrict their their rights and and access to medical care and and the, just the constant onslaught of violence um and to know that like so there are so many people out there and so many political forces who who want those outcomes and who are very right. actively it, it serves their purposes for for the rest of of the country to live in so much fear and pain and and that's very hard but um we try to to remember the importance of continuing to fight even when it does feel sometimes so so hopeless um <laughs> it's 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 been a lot the last few weeks and um we do try to talk about it on the show but also this show is is a show about reality dating shows, and that is, we hope, um, something that can be a respite this week, just like every week. And we're gonna we're gonna try to dive in and enjoy as much as we can um, during this during this episode. So, Emma, shall we? <laughs> we we shall. We're gonna find the joy in the exploration of the curse of heterosexuality. Yeah. Let's start with our somewhat <laughs> less miserable show this week, um, The Courtship. We are getting through three hours of The Courtship because we were an episode behind and then two-hour finale. And, you know, it's true what they say about the Regency era. Everyone is just nicer and more chivalrous, and men didn't suck back then. So uh, <laughs> it's really, it's a pretty good showing. <laughs> Let's start with episode 11 only four men remain one of them of course as is statistically inevitable is a rake will he be revealed by the end of this episode the answer is yes thank, thank goodness. god it was it's taking too long <laughs> but here we are they were like lincoln your time is up yes but first <laughs> it's time for some animal husbandry and you know food preparation i yeah. guess there will be a feast <laughs> it's time to feast they're having what mr edwards calls uh, a sort of traditional regency uh celebration a fete champêtre and like listen i'm not an expert but from what i can tell this was more something they did in 18th century versailles um but sure um we're just gonna do it 
and say it's a Regency England thing. It's like Jane Austen, <laughs> Marie Antoinette. <laughs> basically the who same. Who can say? Basically the same. <laughs> it's really just another opportunity for Ms. Remy to get a little bit of alone time with each suitor and also for her court to really drill down and decide which of them is the worst. Yeah, they're putting Ms. Remy through it. She has to do all of the animal husbandry tasks. Like, each suitor basically gets to do one thing with her, like herding ducks, and one thing with a member of her court, like squeezing honey out of a honeycomb. And Ms. Remy is really put through her paces. This is so Marie Antoinette, and it makes me think of the Marie Antoinette influence on this whole show. That's like, she's dressed in lavish, brightly colored satins, and also she's like, but I'm just like a farm girl and I'm milking the goats. It's very, very what Marie Antoinette was into. Um, and Mr. Chapman is the person who goes bee honeycomb harvesting with her, beekeeping. And there feels like a, a metaphor in there. And Lincoln agrees because he's like, we've found ourselves in a sticky and sweet situation before, but this time there's a risk of getting stung. And I was like, well, there's there's been a risk of getting stung. I just don't know if you recognize that you are the bee in this scenario. No, he's like, we're both the honey, right? <laughs> yes, we're just two honeys mixing the together. The stinger in a jar. is just around. <laughs> Who can say what it's attached to? But Mrs. Remy seems to really understand what's going on finally with Lincoln. I think she's been a little bit skeptical of him for a while, but she's like, okay. While extracting honey, um, let's talk about commitment, Lincoln. And he's like, commitment in my mind, no timeline. Yeah. Does it happen now? Does it happen in 10 years? Does it happen ever? Who can say? <laughs> and she's like, this is not going to work for my daughter. <laughs> she just levels the most assessing look at him and is like, okay, got it. No timeline. <laughs> okay, I see. Mr. Bocchicchio is the other gentleman who has sort of a notable session with Ms. Remy. Um, he is harvesting chicken eggs with her and basically sulking. He's pretty pissed because Lincoln has been really transparent that he just wants to live that hashtag van life <laughs> and not move into a Seattle townhouse with Ms. Remy. And... Yet he's getting this special attention. He got another, a second overnight. None of the other gentlemen have gotten any overnight time with Ms. Remy. And he's like, why is she entertaining this guy? He's he's in a bit of a pout. And he takes this opportunity with Ms. Remy to bring that to her attention. <laughs> and it does not go well. Because he's all, it's like he wants all the affirmation, but he also has, like, a pretty clear limitation as to what he can express. So it is yeah. not an even exchange. He's always being like, what I bring to the table is that I will very honestly be like, I'm bothered by everything, and I need more from you. And she's like, but how do you feel about me? And he's like, I like you. <laughs> listen, listen, I like you, all right? But I need more before I can be more vulnerable. I... And then Nicole makes her big play and is like, you like me. Like, Danny, we're at the final four. I'm in love with you. There are no he bachelor doesn't... conventions here. No, no, no. He 
does not respond. respond. (laughs) (laughs) He does not anything. And finally, he's like, you know, I'm trying, but I can't be vulnerable when there are still all these other guys here. I actually felt pretty complicated about this. You know, I've been very critical of Mr. Bokikio. I feel like he's been insecure and kind of manipulative, withholding. I haven't been a big fan of how he has gone about trying to, like, extract more commitment from Ms. Remy so early in the process. That being said, this show is set up differently from The Bachelor in specific ways that I do think make it really hard for a suitor this late in the process. They're not—this is Final Four. They're not separated. They're not really even going on separate dates very much. They're mostly interacting with Ms. Remy in a group, so it's very hard for them to not witness favoritism really directly. Right. We've gotten to a—I mean, it is weird to get this far in, and it's like Lincoln has had overnight with time with her twice. And and then— spoken about it very openly with the other men while being like, I can't commit to her, but, like, she's definitely in love with me. Yeah. Like, remember when Caitlyn had uh, overnight time with with Nick before all the guys got to have overnight time and it was, like, a crisis and they had to have a mediation circle (laughs) and, like, public apologies, like, truth and reconciliation. And I appreciate that they are not treating this like a major crisis, that Nicole, like, really fucked up. I don't think that she did. But I do think that the fact that there is no structural process in place to prevent the guys from getting this much material for jealousy, like, that puts them in a tough position. Yeah, they're just kind of losing it. I I felt bad for both of them in this, to be honest. They both seemed really frustrated. And, like... I'm, I don't know. I am starting to believe more that he has real feelings for her as the process goes on. I think he does. I think he does. I think that he is not the most emotionally intelligent or sensitive, but I do think that he has real feelings for her. And so they just leave things on a really bad note. She kind of like walks off and is just like, I can't, I can't do this with you right now. And like, so they leave things basically in the middle of a fight. And then later in the gentleman's parlor, Lincoln is just continuing his overt fuckboy tour. He's like, I invoked bro code a week ago. It's still going strong. So gentlemen, um, yeah, I just, you know, I think after this, I'm trying to have a fling with, with Ms. Remy. He's like, you know, I have a lot of clarity after my overnight, and I really needed that time with Ms. Remy. But, like, it's also stressful because my clarity is that I just know for sure I can never fall in love with her. And so it's like, what am I going to do now? It's like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Leave. What are you? Why are you here, sir? Like, what is the stress? Just tell her that it's over as soon as possible. He's like, what's the stress that you have to hide from her? That you're never going to fall in love with her? Like, why would you do that? Just tell her He's like, but I will tell all of you who also have, like, very overtly expressed that you do want to date her after this and are willing to commit. It's so bizarre. Speaking of not very emotionally intelligent, this guy has no concept of what effect his words and actions might have on other people. On anyone else. 
In his In the Moment interview, it's even worse. Like, this really sickened me. He's like, it's going to look like post-nut clarity. But, you know, you know, and I know there's nothing on my end. I'm exhausted trying to convince myself I'm in love. I'm not. He's disgusting. That's, like, sickening. He's not a martyr. He's like, oh, my God, I'm working so hard trying to convince myself that I'm in love. But, like, it just can't be done. And, like... No one's going to understand, like, the, the 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 suffering that I've been through trying to love this hot, cool, nice, funny woman. <laughs> People don't know how hard it is for me. And, like, I'm sorry, don't use the phrase post-nut clarity on this fucking Regency romance show. Like, go to— Even don't, Mr. Wickham would never. ever use that phrase, period. Period. Like, not just on this show— in life. Ugh. Don't ever say that. Also, like, he's basically like, oh, it's going to look like post-nut clarity. But also he's like, but it is post-nut clarity. He's like, it just, that's what happened. He just doesn't want to be judged for it. He tells the guys that anything that worked for him and Nicole would just be a fling. And then he's like, thank you guys for letting me be honest. The guys are just like, What? We didn't let you do anything. They're like, sir, you've just been monologuing <laughs> for like 20 minutes. <laughs> and at this point, that the men are like, we kind of have to do something. Like, this guy is just flagrantly planning to break her heart at some point. We don't even know when. And she thinks that he's going to, like, marry her. So we should probably do something. And what happens, ultimately, is that Mr. Cones is the one who steps up but is, he's like, well, how do I even do this? The Regency era is so hard. Normally, he's like, I can't text her that you're <laughs> dating a fuckboy, XO Christian. Yeah, normally I would just like send her a little DM and be like, <laughs> he's just not that into you. But here, I can't text. And so I guess I will have to write her a letter with a quill pen in cursive. As you do. That's the only medium that they had in the Regency. I'm like, I think that in both eras, you would probably want to do it face-to-face, but he does want to be anonymous, so. That does necessitate a letter. (laughs) I see him, like, in the modern day using one of those anonymous, like, send me a feedback apps that they used to have, like, 10 (laughs) years ago. Like, do you have a crush on me? And he's writing, like, Lincoln isn't into you, actually. (laughs) Send. The next day is the Fete Champetre which is inside, as most pastoral outdoor feasts are, at a very the small weather table. The weather is bad. The weather, the is, weather bad. is bad, to be fair. <laughs> as they eat, a footman enters with a letter on a saucer. As Nicole reads it, her face precipitously drops. She pulls aside her sister and Miss Cleary, and then her sister comes back to the table and sends away Mr. and Mrs. Remy so they don't have to witness what's about to come. Mrs. Remy is like, I know what's happening. She knows. <laughs> know. She's like, I had that one talk with Lincoln and he's about to do something fucked. This whole thing actually felt the most Regency to me in a weird way, even though it's not actually how it would go down at all. Just this the sort of like dramatic, like some things aren't for a parent's eyes, like mother and father, would you please withdraw for <laughs> please a stroll in the garden? From, yeah. Oh my God, it was incredible. Um, your delicate sensibilities, like you might faint if you stay. And... At this point, Nicole confronts the men, reads the letter aloud. It says that 
Lincoln just sees their relationship as a fun fling and he doesn't feel that he's in love with her or can be in love with her. And she asks him if it's true. And Lincoln really shines in this moment. (laughs) He says... He says... I would not have worded it that way, but yes. Yes, the wording is the fucking problem, Lincoln. And like, speaking of wording, you were the one who said post not clarity. So don't tell me that you're better you at wording things here. More sensitively. literally said it would have to be a fling. Like, he did, in fact, use that language. He's like, I would have done my best to make it sound nicer to your face. <laughs> but... Um, yes, that is, that is true. I mean, at what, what was he going to do? I mean, I'm glad he that had he to own up to it. I'm glad that he owned up to it. But what gets me is if you're going to try to couch it better, I don't think that I would go with, I would not have worded it that way because I actually think it was very gently worded. What I would go with was, I'm so sorry. I didn't come to you earlier. Can we talk? Now? Can we talk now? Yeah. And instead, he's just like, well, I have a few nits to pick with this very gentle, kind framing of how I've been fucking you over. At this point, he does get time to speak alone to her. Everyone leaves. But basically, he's just like, well, I needed more time for clarity because other people said it seemed like we were really into each other. And I was like, maybe we are. But like, now that I've had more time, I definitely can't ever love you. And she's basically like, like, producers (laughs) definitely got in my head and convinced me I needed to try harder. Yeah, it's always on production, to be honest. But I'm going to say, Lincoln, know thyself. Like, yes! Come on. Oh, to be clear, this is still his fault because he does have free will. uh, And he told her he was falling for her. He was all in and went and hooked up with her again. So she's Hmm. like... You told me you were falling in love. Like, it's not that I'm, like, asking you to fall in love with me, even if you feel like you can't. It's that you literally told me you were falling in love with me. And he's like, oh, well, I meant that. I am crazy about you. It's fun. What do words mean to men? Like, what does he think that it means to a woman when you say, I'm crazy about you? And this is something that we see coming up in Temptation Island, too. It's like this dude thing. Of like, well, in that one split second, I did feel in my heart that I was falling for you. But immediately after, I no longer felt that way. Did I express that change to you? No. But was I lying? Also, no. And it's like it, it's like this complete lack of accountability for the way that words impact people. Yeah, it's incredibly mind-bogglingly irresponsible to act that way in a a relationship. Um, Well, if you look at Lincoln on Instagram, you just know everything. It really, like, seeing him out of the Regency wear and in his stupid van clothes, like... (laughs) Eating He's his like wearing honey a lot and of bread. bandanas and like graphic like sports t-shirts and doing the like hey bra like hand motions. Yeah. It's just you're like, oh, I I understand your vibe. And Ugh. it was really masked because of the the Regency clothing. Oh yeah. 
I'm seeing like hipster dirtbag fuckboy written like, all over like this. Like real dirtbag. <laughs> I'm looking like at his hipster dirtbag, but like, but like West Coast hipster yes. dirtbag. Like yes. I'm just like, I'm just like trying to like see the world, like yeah. see nature. He like he like messages you on Tinder and wants to like take you on a hike, but then like he ghosts you after you have sex, and you're like, yeah, exactly. Oh my god, his Instagram bio says sunrise together question mark fuck, fuck off guy. Lincoln fuck I this hate guy. this guy I hate him okay so he <laughs> asked to hug Nicole as as he leaves and she's like no please leave and he looks so sad and wounded oh, and I'm like you'll get to hug you've gotten a way too many touches like you're in a touch deficit with Nicole <laughs> you you owe her a lot of physical touch back that you didn't deserve and this, you know, brings us to the farewell ball. She's already said farewell to one gentleman. There are only three left. They all are on the dance card. But, but no none one, of them go home. None of them go home. Mr. Cones, however, does admit that he wrote the anonymous letter. And he's, like, very nervous about this. And Nicole is like, you know what? Thank you. I appreciate that. And then we're on to the two-hour finale. Yes. And for the two-hour finale, we are doing modern day dates. That's right. I was actually very into this. I really enjoyed seeing all of these dudes and Ms. Remy in modern clothing. I think this is something we talked about in the beginning of the courtship, like how it was kind of hard to differentiate all of the men in part because they were in these like uniforms. Yeah. And you really can tell certain things about a person's energy and vibe from the way that they put themselves together. I love how they all wear things that are sort of consistent with what you would expect for that from them. First, uh, we see her have like an afternoon date with Mr. Bokikio. She's so excited. She just is like, I love Mr. Bokikio and his honesty. And little does she know that he also is a snazzy dresser. Because he's a, he's a realtor. He's, like, the kind of guy who's wearing, like, the, the wool coat with, like, a popped collar. He, like, Clayton Eckerd, uh, is really into the neutral t- turtleneck. Yeah, it was, like, a pale sage green or something. It was very, uh... I didn't hate it. It was, it was an interesting choice. She's wearing her blazer and her skinny jeans and heels. And she, she looks... They, they look good. Um, they I was look excited to see them, uh... In, the, in their own, in their own uh, setting. They have a drink by the river and talk about the future a little bit. Um, he's like, I'm thinking about maybe moving to Seattle. Maybe I could do that. And he's like, I'm also comfortable expressing my feelings more. And then he expresses his feelings more by saying, I really like you, Nicole. <laughs> Which is, like, exactly what he fucking said before. So I don't really see the progression, Danny, but... He's building up to it, as we later see. Yeah, she's like, he has met the bare minimum requirement for assuring me of his feelings so we can make out. And they do. And they do. Next, we have Mr. Judge, who I feel like this date was honestly the first time that I was like, maybe she's going to pick him. Yeah. Like, I saw some actual... sexual chemistry between them he is it's he it feels like such a different vibe in modern clothing 
Yeah. Then, like, he is the one who actually seems the most Regency to me. Like, partly, like, he has, like, almost a Regency style, like, brushed forward hair over his forehead. And, like, he's very, like, solid. Maybe that's what it is, is that he feels very almost at home in Regency garb. And then you see him in his actual clothing. And you're like, what is that, like? little gold chain around yeah, your neck, Jesse, and, like, the slightly yeah. unbuttoned going yeah. out shirt. Yeah, that's, like, a little tight. Um, and he takes her to, like, the club. <laughs> well, I think because she's, like, he's from a small town. Can he party? And he's, like, right. yes. But- yeah, he's supposed to plan the <laughs> dates to, like, show what their real life would be like. But I guess he was like, this is what I actually want my real life to be like, a club in London. <laughs> and he makes her what he has learned is her favorite drink, a French 75. So I guess he asked Miles about that. <laughs> and he tries to make her one, does not go well. But the rest but of I the day goes really well. She, yeah, <laughs> she appreciates the effort, and they get to kind of rib each other. Which I think is a, like, I think Nicole requires that, like, joking Barb-like relationship. And that's not a thing she's had as much with Jesse. This is the thing about Jesse. It's hard for me to ever put a finger on what their relationship is missing. They've always seemed to me to have, like, physical chemistry and, like, even a bit of, like, romance in the way that they interact with each other. He can be pretty smooth with her. They can you know, joke around together. Like, I do feel like he's just as jokey in what we've seen as a lot of the other guys. So I think it just has to come down to, like, it's it's not the style of humor that she wants or something like that. Like, they just don't mesh. Because we'll see him, like, joking around all through a date, and then she'll be like, I just need him to, like, relax and joke more. And I'm like, he is, though. It's just not for you, right? Like, yeah. But it not- does feel like he's, like, practically perfect. But I didn't, I don't know. I ultimately didn't really there if you could tell that there was something missing I thought yeah but on this date they get to kind of let loose a little bit have a bunch of french 75s she asks him if he got out of this experience what he wanted and he gazes at her soulfully and says not yet Hoo-hoo. and then after they leave the club he like hoists her up on a wall and like passionately makes out with her like it again was, i'm just like, very Ari Lion Dyke during Emily Maynard season vibes, just like I gotcha up the, against the wall. The, it just keeps coming back to like she's like he's the safe bet. He's so like he might not have enough edge. He's so safe, and like I think that he just feels safe to her because she's not into him enough that she has that adrenaline rush of nerves around him because like he doesn't have any of the hallmarks of like a boring safe guy like he is passionately pushing her up against the wall and kissing her and like he is like joking around with her and being romantic with her it's just not like connecting but i think in this moment she's like oh this actually is kind of working for me the being pushed up against a stone wall and kissed i thing. mean it's that happening. works for most of us yeah i'm going to say Finally, Christian Cones. I love seeing Mr. Cones in his contemporary wear. He has, like, a black leather jacket with a shearling collar and, like, a Dan Flashes style shirt underneath. It's, like, very aggressively patterned. (laughs) And I was like, of course. Of course. I continue to love him, even though I did feel like he was just really destined to be number three. I feel like it's been clear for a while that, like, they're 
they really like each other, but that it is ultimately more of a friend vibe. But he pulls out the stops here. He does well. They're like in a kind of nest of cushions watching like a planetarium style projection of stars on the ceiling. And then he tells her that he had the exact star alignment of the night she was born in Seattle projected for them, which is very cute. Yeah, this is, like, a really intimate, romantic setting that he's created and, like, very personal to her. And so, of course, they they share a very intimate moment. They make out. It actually does seem like there's that romance there. But, you know, if, if it takes this much work to have a romantic moment, it's like, maybe that's not the relationship for you. It's just like... I don't think they've made out before now, and it's the final three. They have, I think, but it's definitely the first time that it really felt passionate to me. Yeah. And and not just like, I guess this is our moment to make out, as is often the case on dating shows. Um, after these dates, they all meet at the gates, still in their modern attire, one man is going to be sent home. He will not be returning to Brigadoon through the mists of time. <laughs> and Ms. Remy selects Danny B and Jesse Judge. So, yes, it is Christian who is who is keeping on his shearling jacket and returning to his normal life of stargazing in Joshua Tree. He gives her, I would say, the one good forehead kiss I've ever seen. <laughs> And and he's off. Goodbye, goodbye to Christian and goodbye Godspeed. to Mr. Cohn. And then Ms. Remy and the two finalists all like do a quick change in the tiny carriage and reemerge at the palace in their Regency clothes again. I was like, yeah, it they're looks like, very you tight must in there. Not enter these grounds in your modern era garb. Imagine it would it would be a shock to to the con- like to the space time continuum. <laughs> exactly, the fabric would be riven. Um, and that brings us to the final two. They have some some last chance dates. Danny, Bokikio, and Nicole go horseback riding. And when I say they go horseback riding, I mean that she is, like, flung over his pommel. Like, they are sharing a on, horse. They're on one horse. It's very, it's, it's very marauder sweeping up a maiden as he gallops through the enemy camp. But, like, m- much more awkward because <laughs> neither of them seem to exactly know how to position themselves. She's like, ah, oh, this is kind of hard in this dress. How do I get yeah. up here? It's... It's Riding not side saddle is not easy, you know? It does not look easy. And they talk about the future again. A lot of what they discuss seems to be real estate-based uh, yet again, well, which makes sense. Classic, classic Danny B. He truly He's- sees everything through that lens. Like, the first time we saw him, he was like, I wish I could do a real estate promo in this costume, and now he's like, you know how I know that I like you? I want to live with you in Seattle and also get a place in Manhattan and a beach house yeah, in Hawaii. He, he's like, I have some um, <laughs> investment properties in mind. I <laughs> can certainly see an opportunity to expand the Oppenheim group into <laughs> Seattle. It's a new market. Um, oh, imagine I'm Danny excited. B just chilling with Chris <laughs> and Amanda. I can actually. I would love he's to see joining, that He's joining Christine's uh, crypto <laughs> oh, currency. Jesus, <laughs> I want better for Nicole. Um, he 
has also arranged something he's very, he's like, I'm so romantic. I arranged this little grove of scrolls for Nicole. Like they come upon a string quartet in the garden and then a tree with all of these little scrolls and like faux gems and gift shop charms that say like love in cursive and they're all hanging from a tree. It's a very few the bachelor. Had a really fun day of crafting. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, I'm not great with expressing my feelings, but I wanted to find a way to do that. So all of these scrolls hold the words I want to say to you. And she's like weeping and reading these little scrolls that say like, your laugh lights up my heart. It was sweet. It was sweet. sweet. And you could also tell that he was like, okay, I I need to give her the thing that I haven't been able to give her. And like, this is my way of doing that. And so, and there's nothing like withholding emotional reassurance (laughs) for a long time. And then being like, now you can have it to really like overwhelm a woman with happiness. It's really effective. Honestly, (laughs) she's like weeping after one, you know, compliment about her laugh. Um, And the final scroll is blank one. And he's like, I didn't want to write what I feel. Um, I wanted to say it and I I love you. And then she's Ugh. they just like make out passionately. It, you know what? It tugged up my heartstrings. <laughs> yeah. I was like, maybe I'm into Danny B. My feelings about Danny B are definitely the most complicated of any of the guys. I'm like, is he like a manipulative fuckboy or is he like a it's nice guy who just like is, is bad at little, expressing himself. Bad expressing himself and like a little bit, like a little bit too selfish, but like he can work on it. We'll see. Hard to tell. We'll see. Next is Mr. Judge, who has planned a date involving falconry. And then the falcon <laughs> that he summons brings a key that lets them into a room in the castle that's like got a frescoed rotunda. <laughs> And then they just stand there for a while and then they go glamping because he loves nature and being masculine. And he needs Nicole to love that too. And grilled cheese. <laughs> and grilled cheese. Well, who doesn't love I mean, grilled cheese? That would have been my favorite part of this date. <laughs> Nicole uh initiates kind of the conversation about children. She's like, I want three to five kids. So that's a lot. And he says, well, I want three. I want two boys and one girl. And I got news for you, buddy. You don't typically get to choose. (laughs) And also, like, why does it need to be two boys and one girl? He's like, because boys are better, to be clear. (laughs) And the girl is basically just so you can have, like, a little pet. He's like, she'll be daddy's little girl. And, like, I'm going to spoil her and she can get away with it. And I'm like, you're talking about, like, a very unhealthy dynamic that I don't think should be. (laughs) It's not as cute as it sounds. Um, this whole part was just, like, weirdly rife with, like, gender, gender. parenting, like, tropes yeah, that I find me, really like, off-putting. really gave me the icks a little bit. He was like, I'll spoil my little girl, and she'll just be, like, full of sugar and spice and everything nice. Yeah. And my boys will turn into men. Masculine. I do think that there is something about, like, and we see this sometimes with contestants on these shows, that, like, when you haven't had the most, like, cookie cutter like traditional childhood and you felt really deprived of a lot of that you can maybe sometimes like really idealize a a very um standard version of that you know and I think think that that the the scenario he's describing is just like such a culturally dominant one and that's what kind of 
bothers me yeah. is that it's he's just like I want to build the family yeah. experience that I didn't get to have, which is an understandable. Um, oh yeah, instinct. I'm super sympathetic sure. to to his, to him in this. It's more just that it like shines a light on what that like perfect idyllic family life yeah, looks like, like in oh. America, and I'm like, is that what we want it to? Anyway, you you get it. Um, And then she's like, how will it be to take me back home? And he's like, honestly, Nicole, I don't know if I'm going home. Seattle sounds real nice. He's ready. He's he is truly all in. This man is like, I am ready to leave Michigan. And head to a coast. Yeah. He's like, I will go wherever I will be given children. And at this point. Mr. and Mrs. Remy are also meeting with each man to decide whether to offer their blessing or whether they will withhold their fortune from their daughter. And uh, that's a big decision. So they ask Mr. Judge, like, what makes you the right choice for Nicole? And he's like, oh, I could make her feel really safe and, like, support her more than Danny, you know. And they're like, great. Uh, That sounds great. And Mr. Bokikyo has a more complicated conversation with them. Uh, he basically is like, the future with us would would involve me moving in with Nicole if you're if you're okay with that. And they're like, okay. At first, it seems like they're gonna be like, we're not really. <laughs> but then they're like, times have changed. Times sure have changed. So yeah. That's that's also like what my grandma said when when I got engaged to someone who wasn't Presbyterian. Um, <laughs> <laughs> times sure have changed, um, and he's like, "I'll always do my best to make Nicole happy and be honest if it doesn't work out." And they're like, "No worries, there. We know that you will just straight up be like, Nicole, this isn't working out. You always tell her exactly the truth." And Which look after going through what she just went through with Lincoln, that is that's a good quality. It's not nothing, right? Um, at this point, we we head to the Diamond Ball, which is where the final choice will be made. So we're really, we're really. I at love that this time. is just like an excuse to have a white party yeah. and be like <laughs> everyone's getting married. <laughs> this is both virginal wedding white and also just like. Diddy's white party. Yeah. Or like a Kardashian wedding. Yeah. Mr. Judge and Mr. Bokikio are in matching white and cream embroidered ensembles that are like, I'm pretty sure inspired by Prince Charming and Disney's oh, Cinderella. Absolutely. They, they have had beaded those like, epaulets. Yes. The beaded uh, epaulets were very Prince Charming. Yeah. I don't think that those were super standard in Regency. Uh, uh, ballrooms, but they did really give me Prince Charming. Nicole is looking gorgeous in her white bridal gown. Hint, hint, gentlemen, she's ready. And Mr. and Mrs. Remy tell Nicole that they are giving their blessing to both gentlemen, which is super helpful. <laughs> so helpful. <laughs> I, okay, this ending, again, really shone a light on the fact that with this show, they were like, do we need to lay out a clear and original structure? Perhaps not. Just yeah. like, have some conversations. They're see just where like, it lands. let's see what happens. Let's play. I, in a way, I appreciated it. It did almost feel more like how a proposal might play out 
Yeah. Without the asking the parents for the hand and all that. But it, it, it was less of a, you know, standing on a pedestal and one by one addressing the suitors. And it was more like, and then they come back from a walk in the garden and reveal that, like, he has proclaimed his intentions and she has accepted. That part I, I was into. But the first part, I was just confused. I was like, wait, yeah. so they just steal her and then she maybe breaks up with them. Like, what? <laughs> I was like, what's going on right now? Right. They're like, and now they each get a final dance with Ms. Remy, but the final dance is like meaningless. They just each dance with her. And she's like, you're great. I love our relationship. But that has nothing to do with the final decision. What happens is that Mr. Judge pulls her aside. They leave the ballroom. They sit down on the stairs outside. <laughs> The, the, the castle. And he's like, we have a really good relationship. And she's like, yes. And he's like, we connect on an emotional and a physical level. And she's like, for sure. And he's like, you feel butterflies with me. And that doesn't happen with just anyone. And she's like, I'm going to stop you right there. I do actually feel more butterflies with someone else. So it's not that special that I feel butterflies with you. And actually, you do have to leave. <laughs> he's like, okay. It's been uh, great to pursue the opportunity for this job. I will take your feedback yeah. and go heal my heart in the modern world. Um, back to Michigan I go. Yeah. She's and a, then he's I, just, like, gone. He's just gone. No one seems to know that he's gone. He, like, gets in a carriage and leaves under the cover of darkness. Um, they have a very sweet goodbye and a tearful goodbye. But basically then Nicole goes inside and is like, Danny, you're up. And they go sit by their special fountain, their special gigantic fountain. And she tells him that she loves him. He's like, I love you too. He sums up their journey, I think, pretty accurately. Quote, guy from Staten Island, not that interesting, meets this beautiful girl, didn't know what to say, and now I'm expressing all these feelings towards you and somehow manages to win her heart. A lot of tense yeah, changes in there. honestly, <laughs> that, uh... That about sums up the courtship. Yeah. He presents a ring and asks her to marry him. She is shook. We are shook. Yeah. Certainly all of the family and Tessa, when she walks back in with Danny B and the ring, is shook. Danny Baker, um, her sister, Mrs. Remy's sister, seems like she was really rooting Oh, yeah. Mr. I actually think that Mrs. Baker takes on a role more akin to what you would see in an Austin novel from the mother, which is like maybe the father's job is to withhold approval or to be, you know, sort of like the, the person that the suitor comes to to ask for permission. And the mother is really in there, like facilitating the flirtation and like encouraging the suitor, trying to get the match made. And that's what Danny was trying to do with Danny. Like she's like, he's my fave. Let's get this yeah. done. She's thrilled. Everyone is super happy. M Nicole's parents They're are all, like, like, we crying. adore him. It's We're so, so happy. Sweet. And we we close on another fake Jane Austen quote. And that's how you do courtship. This Jane whole Austen. this whole this whole show has been such a, a, a <sighs> such violence to Jane Austen's oeuvre, but um, there was still a lot of joy to be found in it. We wish we could figure out if Danny and Nicole are still together, but they haven't really posted anything clarifying that yet. Perhaps they 
aren't still together and they don't want to just be like, and then we broke up. Or maybe the show wants them to wait a little bit longer before they kind of spoil it. It's very unclear to me. If I had to take a guess, I'd say they're not together. But yeah, I don't know. When we talked to her, she was like, I did find my Mr. Darcy. But I was like, but she she also seemed pissed at Mr. Bokikio for how he treated her at the beginning in a way that, like, didn't. I don't know. I have a lot of questions. And I have a lot of questions. I, I really want to find out uh, where they are today. But we don't have that information. So we're going to bring the courtship to a, to a wrap here. We're going to take a quick break. And we'll be right back to talk about Temptation Island. Can you keep up? I like love it. And we're back. And it is time to talk about a show simply overflowing with rakes. That's right. Temptation Island. <laughs> so, like, every every guy on this show is a rake. Yeah, every guy in the show is a rake, a fuckboy, emotionally unintelligent. I mean, it's incredible. You it's think you found an, a good one? Embarrass- What's, like, the opposite of an embarrassment of riches? A scarcity of riches, a paucity <laughs> of riches. Yeah. <laughs> an absence of riches. Um <laughs> Yeah, a, it, just a deficit. There, there is a poverty of of male excellence in relationships on this show. Um, but we actually left on a bit of a cliffhanger halfway through the finale with Ashley telling LaSalle's at the final bonfire that she wanted to leave with him. And we finally see his response. And this threw me. He begins to say that he's not going to leave alone because what he has with Trace is special. And Ashley is like, oh, I see. Well, fuck that. And she interrupts and is like, Mark, I want to change my mind. I really want to leave alone. I loved this. I was just like, I really wished that she had done this before he started talking. I really wish that she had, like, scene or, or or I feel like she just won't let herself accept that like LaSalle's doesn't deserve her yeah that he sucks and I th- and so but, she, but she I get, he gets to the opportunity kind of re- to reject her first even though she's like yeah I think ultimately though as we especially as we see at the reunion she really came out on top here and I was glad that she didn't even let him get the full sentence out she was just like wait I was torn I was willing to give this a chance you're clearly not so like Go fuck yourself. Yeah. And she got to, she did get to retain some of that power. LaSalle's is just like, I want to leave with Trace, but I'll, I have to be single when I get home. But I do want to leave with Trace. Just to like prove that like my feelings for her are real or something. Like what the hell was he talking what about? What the fuck? And Ashley's just like, I wish you the best. Um, And she gets up and is like, my heart was kind of saying, fuck that guy. And some of my heart was saying, give him a chance. So I'm going to really lean into fuck that guy. Yeah. And as she's leaving, she's like, one day he's going to realize that he fucked up and I won't be there. And ding, ding, ding. Yeah. I love that. It truly just like, this is also where we see the seeds of what will come to such horrific fruition in the reunion, which is that LaSalle sees asking Trace to leave with him as just like a validation of the fact that he had a real feeling rather than a process of asking a real human woman with her own feelings to pursue a real relationship with him. Right. He's like, commitment is just 
I don't know, me like expressing my intention to follow through, the actual follow through is not the most relevant thing. He's like, obviously I'm not actually going to be with Trace, but like to validate the fact that I do feel strongly for her, I am going to make some sort of promise of pursuing a relationship with her to her. Like, what are, like, how do you feel okay about that, LaSalle's? I don't know what's wrong with him. But Trace comes out. He asks her to leave with him. She beams. She's like, I'm so proud of you. Yes, of course. She doesn't know that this is just a gesture. Yeah, no, we, thank God they go right into the reunion because. I was full of rage. I found that the finale as a whole, you just could see so much doom, like, lurking around (laughs) the corner. (laughs) Yeah, that's accurate. Uh, Finally, uh, we get to Hanya and Ash. Hanya's ready to propose. I'm ready to see him get fucking rejected hard. Ash Ash describes their emotions prior to bonfire as homicidal rage, but is like, I'm going to show up with an attitude of gratitude. So you know that this is going to go very well. Yeah, they were so much more restrained than I expected. So I guess some of that calming uh, advice they gave themselves worked. Yeah, good for Ash. Ash is the one who speaks first in their initial exchange. And they say, look, I'm not a person you're working on. I'm not someone who needs to get their shit together so that I can make you feel better. And I deserve a lot more consideration and respect than I've been getting. And they also express to Hanya that they've never really felt truly heard. They felt like other people were obviously getting a lot of access to him sexually. And Hanya, on the other hand, has shown up just ready to perform remorse. He's ready to say, I'm sorry, so many times. Always just like that. I'm sorry, Ash. I'm sorry. Over and over again. He is such an annoying little martyr. I'm, uh, so he has worked and worked on preparing the speech, and it was better than, than the his video, video message. He's the like, one for sure better. He says, usually I have so many words, like I'm always right, but I know I've hurt you. I wasn't <laughs> listening. I was only thinking of myself. My idea for an open relationship was absolute bullshit. It was just a way to make excuses for my own behavior that had like already begun. I was sad that I had hurt you, and all you had shown me was love. And I didn't know I could love one person so much. This is where we get we get an indication that Ash is, is pretty pissed. Yeah. They're like, so, okay, when did you have all of these realizations? When you were joking about cheating on me um, to the other men in the house? Or, or was it when you had your head buried in whipped cream in another woman's crotch? Was that, yeah. was that when you were having these deep? Revelations. Yeah. They're like, oh, you would have probably answered that booty call that you got in quarantine if you had been at home, right? You would have, like, gone over. And he's like, yeah. And Hanya's like, yes. <laughs> no, that, listen, hey, I was really disrespectful. My bad. I'm sorry. And <laughs> Ash asked what happened when he carried that girl to his room. I think this was Karina early in the show. And he says, nothing happened but holding each other. Which I believe, but also, ew, Hanya, ew. why do you speak that way? <laughs> Ash is very, seems to be very clear. They say, like, I can't make the space for the kind of trust that we'd need to be in a relationship. And Hanya's like, I hear you. And do you know what I think would be a great idea? 
if we got engaged. Yeah. Uh, He goes first with his decision. He's like, I've changed. I'm willing to prove to you for the rest of my life. He gets down on his knee. He whips out a ring and proposes. And Ash looks flabbergasted. (laughs) They're just like, did, again, it really drives home Ash's whole thing, which is like, you you pretend to listen, but my words don't penetrate you. It's yeah. Like, they literally just said, I don't have any trust in you, or at least I don't have the trust in you that I would need to be in a relationship with you. Like, what yeah. about that is like, now's my moment to propose. Yeah. And they're saying things like, I mean, did you notice that I just had a really intense relationship with someone else? Like, it's even to the point that Ash is like, it feels like he doesn't notice that I'm kind of in love with someone else. And like, he maybe he thinks he's being generous, but like, it just makes it seem like my actions have no weight to him. Like, I was getting a lot of frustration that he didn't care about the Taylor thing or like didn't want to, pro- well, didn't want to incorporate that into the conversation. He would just be like, yes, I know. And they're like, okay, but, like, doesn't that hold any weight? And everything I said about how there's no trust and, like, there's too much I would have to heal to, like, be in a relationship with you again. Like, I just can't marry you. And Hanya says, well, I feel responsible for that healing you have to do, and I want to put in the work. Like, no, Ash does not want you around for that work. This is not a you-break-it-you-bought-it situation, Hanya. Like, Ash is not a ceramic knickknack at a gift shop. Like, you can leave them to go free and heal independently of your still very flawed person that is still definitely going to, like, inflict (laughs) more pain because you don't know what you're doing yet. And you're going to end up asking for patience. Like, I'm really working on myself. I'm trying to be better. But, like, it's just hard. No, Hanya, do you know what work you could do? Not on Ash, but perhaps on yourself. Go to a therapist that you actually pay. Go not to a monastery. A, not a woman. Not a woman that <laughs> who has skills that you um, take advantage of for free. Pay someone. Go to years of therapy. Then maybe get into a relationship. Not with Ash because Ash does not want you. <sighs> I do See worry. You in five to ten years. I do very much worry that. You know, Hanya is perhaps the kind of person who does not respond to therapy because he so quickly can take on the language. He takes responsibility in a very surface way. But I'm like, I don't know if it's really changing. Yeah, I think I think that's so accurate. I think that he's the kind of person who like he's like, oh, I know how to ape and perform remorse and responsibility. But what that really is, is just, like, I don't want to be criticized anymore. So let me Mm. cut you off by just, like, taking all the responsibility. Yeah. We'll see. I do wish for everyone on this show that they benefit from from therapy and some self-work after after this show. Ash chooses to leave alone. Thank goodness. Wise. They embrace. On the way out, Mark also hugs Ash and is like, hey, a takeaway here. Someone just asked you to spend the rest of your life with them, so unworthy of love? I don't think so. <laughs> Christ, Mark. Like, is she... I'm sorry. Are they still supposed to be thinking of Hanya as a measuring <laughs> stick of their worth as a person? That's what we're trying to get away from. Mark, 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 Mark. The yeah. point is, do not 
seek or need validation from random shitty men. Yeah. Ugh. <sighs> he, Mark's trying. And then Mark consoles Hanya and is like, love is easy, but it's also worth fighting for. And I'm like, this is not what Hanya needs to hear. Because, of course, Hanya's takeaway is, I need to keep fighting for Ash. And he says, I do believe I deserve another chance. I have to prove I deserve it. No, no you don't. No, you need to go away. And you, you need, need to, to stop leave bothering Ash. Oh, my God. Disaster. Uh, and then finally, we move on to the only even semi-functional couple, Iris and Luke. And from moment one, you're like, oh, they're, this feels very different. There's not just like simmering rage and resentment present. They seem genuinely excited to see each other. They give each other like these very warm hugs and Luke is like, Iris, you look so beautiful. I missed you so much. And she's like, I miss you too. They sit down next to each other. They seem very relaxed and like almost excited to be there. They're not like seven feet apart like most (laughs) of the couples. They're just like at a normal sitting next to each other distance. Iris talks first and says that this was at first a cheating test, but also she wanted him to open up more emotionally. She wanted a chance to grow her own self-confidence She, in the process of the show, found a strong connection with someone who checked a lot of boxes that Luke didn't. But then she realized that she needed to step away from that because her issues went back deeper than her relationship with Luke. It was rooted in her lifelong need to please her strict family. And she's like, I now realize I don't need to constantly please people. But also, you know, I need you to be accountable for what you did do and constantly breaking my trust in the relationship. Seems reasonable. And Luke really mostly addresses the emotional opening up and the temptation parts. He's like, I I just missed you all the time. I talked about you all the time. But people really encouraged me to focus more on myself. But, you know... I was still mostly keeping you top of mind, how to become the best guy and the best boyfriend for you. I stood my ground against temptation. And then I became close to the men in the house and they became role models for me. I was very concerned. (laughs) Very concerned. I was like, Luke, do you not understand that all of these men just left in shame? Yeah, first of all, (laughs) most of these men are also there to work on being more emotionally open and, and all of them behaved much worse than you did. So like, right. please don't look to them as and, like, role you've models. You've got Lascelles, who's also there to learn to be more emotionally open. And then you've got Hanya and Edgar, who need to learn not to use their emotional openness to, like, manipulate women. <laughs> so, like, I'm just, like, a little concerned by your models here. But he's like, I finally unlocked my heart. I'm ready to be, like, emotional and open with you now. And so during their conversation, Iris is basically like, you didn't say anything about accountability. And that is actually really important. I need you to be accountable so that I know that I can trust you in the future. And Luke's response is like, I'm going to stop. And here's how I'm going to do it. Whenever I want to DM a hot girl, I'm going to tell you. I mean... This is kind of interesting. Like, we had a conversation on Rich Text with Heather Havrileski yeah. about being in a long-term relationship. And she talked about the fact that she actually finds it to be really important. Like, when she's had a crush on someone, like, 
not something she's acted on, but just to like share that impulse with her husband. And it almost like does take the charge out of it or like take the the threat out of it. And so I'm like, look, that can, I do believe that can work for some yeah. couples. And I do think that, you know, I I think in all likelihood, if Luke is like, this is a thing, I have an instinct to do. And then Iris knows, like, he probably is less likely to actually do it. It it takes away the illicit charge. I think it's probably one of the better approaches they have here because transparency can have the effect you're talking about. Um, it will allow her to feel like at least things aren't being kept from her in the dark. I do feel like when you already have a lot of insecurity about your partner, like flirting with other girls, it it might be a sensitive thing to constantly have to hear that they want to flirt with other girls. Yeah. But like that is sort of the situation that they're in and there's there's no unringing that bell. So maybe this is the best way forward. Iris is very receptive because I think that she sees the, the value of transparency and also is like, this is an actual step forward. This isn't just him saying, I, I'll stop. Right. This is like some sort of plan. Yeah. And like, I we have that, a plan. Look, that's better than no plan. Better than uh, no plan. I mean, Luke probably shouldn't be getting a gold star here, but I'm just like, God, in comparison to the rest of these yeah. guys, he's at least trying to do something positive. Yeah. And at decision time, they decide to, they each decide to leave with the other person. And so as they walk away, Luke leads Iris to a spotlit flower-strewn clearing and kneels and proposes by saying, I want you to be my girl forever and ever. Would you make me the luckiest man in the world? (laughs) And she's very excited. And she says yes. And And he he gives her her a giant ring. The ring that we did see him pick out. Yeah. Hanya. Hanya basically got Ash what looked like just sort of a silver hammered band. It was a hammered, not even shiny silver Listen, band. Maybe that's what they wanted. Maybe. Who knows? Well, they didn't want that one from Hanya, but... They definitely didn't want anything from Hanya. They didn't want (laughs) the most giant rock in the world from Hanya. Definitely not. Um, and so we get one happy ending for one couple. And honestly, the others are all happy endings, too, because none of them should have been together. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. This, I mean, it, except two unhappy endings, because I feel for those single women who were lured off the island with Lascelles Yeah, I think that was my main, <laughs> my main frustration. I was like, like, none of the men were just like, I'm going to make the choice to work on myself. And leave yeah. by myself. Like, that felt really notable. Yeah, they're like, Whereas, is she still around? Is she yeah, still available? three of Can the I... women chose to leave by themselves. Two of the men were like, oh, my island girlfriend, I guess that's my new partner. <laughs> Feels better. Yeah. Mm, I, I'm improved. <laughs> and then uh, one of them... Uh, Hanya, like, Hanya whiffed Hanya on a proposal. Hanya was trying. Tried. Hanya was desperately yeah. trying to not leave alone. Men are so afraid of alone. being single. We're always told women are afraid of being single, but actually men are afraid of being single. And we'll learn more about that in our reunion episode where we oh learn about God. some explosive off-screen developments. For example, Juicy's actual name is Madeline. I had no idea. No idea. Um, 
everyone is back. Well, everyone, like the most significant singles uh, for the most part. And Except of course, our, our main couples. Yeah, no Deke. And everyone has much more carefully flattened and gelled hair than we saw them wearing on the island. Some new hairstyles. Hanya's Hanya. hairstyle. Perhaps the most drastic. He is the Samson of this show. He has lost the mane that held his strength. And he is just a short-haired, sad boy now. <laughs> we start with Ashley and Lascelles, which was a lot. I don't even know how to process what we saw in this conversation. Claire and I were discussing earlier, like, who learned the least during this Oof. process? And I think... It is like neck and neck between Lascelles and Hanya, but somehow I think it might be Lascelles for the win. Yeah, Lascelles doesn't even know how to consistently say one thing about what he learned for an entire sentence. <laughs> He's just like flailing around up there. Ashley and Lascelles um, reveal that they did have a really long conversation when they got back, but they're not together. Ashley's like, it wasn't the same anymore. So that sort of makes it sound like they talked about possibly getting back together but it sounds like maybe they did but like i'm glad ashley kind of stood her ground um they call blake up to the sofa and blake and ashley seem to have such a sweet warm friendship yeah he like she's like thank you so much you never judged me like we had such and he was like yeah we were basically best friends by the end like you helped me open up and if not for you I wouldn't be with Madeline. And then he, we're like, Madeline, he points, and Juicy is like, hey. I'm like, and ah. Mark, Mark is the most shocked of anyone because presumably everyone else has been hanging out and kind of yeah. knew this was going on. And Mark is like, wait, what? That's a thing? Mark isn't Excuse on the group text. Mark isn't on the group text. He's like, I was not informed of this. You guys, you got to stop side channeling without me. But good for them. Um, love this, love this yeah. development. Um, love to see two actually single people dating yeah. each other. Yeah, they they were kept from each other, all these hot singles, and now they're they're finally hooking up. But that's when we really start getting into the LaSalle's of it all. The LaSalle's being a fuckboy in many different ways. Post Just like in Island. every in every potential iteration possible. It's honestly impressive. So first we get into what happened with Trace after the show and they are not How much together. he fucked Trace over. They are not together. He says he visited Trace in L.A. The chemistry wasn't the same. He's like, but we're cool now. And Trace is like, yeah, we're cool. And Mark is like, I'm not cool right now. Like, what are you talking about? Like, you guys went so fast. Like, like you declared your love for Trace. He's like, Multiple Trace, times. You, like, you, bullied Trace into saying that she loves you. And now you're just like, yeah, yeah. like, we hung out once. And it's just like, you know, the chemistry wasn't there. But, like, whatever. Yeah, he's like, that's a big deal when you say that to someone. Like, Trace, are you actually okay with how this has gone? And Trace gets a little emotional and is like, it actually did really fuck with my head. Like, I'm usually not vulnerable. I'm on guard. Guys are pretty shitty. At this point, LaSalle's has the fucking gall to go, some are, from the other yeah, like couch. You. Like, yeah, like you. you. Like you, LaSalle's. You like absolute you. dirtbag. Don't fucking not all men her right now after the shit you pulled. She describes, like, what it felt like to be on this roller coaster of how he'd, like, intensely declare his intentions to her and then be like, but I'm going to leave single. And this is when LaSalle's 
explains why he said I love you to Trace. And he's like, you know, it was just so, like, much going on and she was so anxious about things. And I think subconsciously, like, I felt I needed to do something to, like, solidify things and make her feel better. Listen, this is literally the worst fucking reason to tell someone you love them. Oh, I need to basically quell their anxiety and criticism by... Lying? lying to them? Well, he's like, no, I wasn't. It wasn't on purpose. I was just like, I was drunk and like, I, I don't know. Oh my I felt god! It in the moment, and this then, like, man has the ability. Apparently, he's not responsible for a single decision he makes when he has a single drink. If you have this much wreckage behind you every time that you go out for a drink, you probably should stop drinking. Right, right. <laughs> like, this is really. Break. If you really have like so little control over your actions, then, like, perhaps it's time to be sober. And then he's like, oh, then I felt I needed to own it and keep building the relationship until it was real. So he's like, well, oops, I said I love her just because, like, it seemed like a good idea at the time. So I guess I'm just going to, like, go with that. And, like, sooner or later, I will love her. This is Lincoln Chapman behavior for sure. We then learned that Ashley, that LaSalle's told Ashley he was still in love with her just a few weeks before the reunion was taped. And he <sighs> explains himself by saying, oh, well, it, it happened because I found out Ashley was seriously talking with someone else. I love that he was like, well, obviously, no, 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 you don't understand. It's just that, like, I wanted to prevent Ashley from being able to move on and be happy with someone else. That's all, you know, it's very clear. Yeah. Like, what? Like, the fact that he will say these things, like, as if in his own defense, and it will be the worst possible thing. It's the worst thing you could possibly say. At this point, we get some really great um, reaction shots of Jillian, who's just like full face is contorting and like just giving what the fuck vibes. Yeah. Relatable. She's, She's like, the problem is you're not like considering anything but whether saying I love you is expressing your exact feeling in that moment. You know, you're only considering that. You're not considering the effect that it has on these women and the expectations that come with that. And maybe you need to, like, you know, be a little bit better about that and, like, listen more and not always just say things. And he's like, I'm a great listener. I'm a great listener. And Mark is like, you're not, though, Lucelles. (laughs) You're not even listening right now. He's like, you literally just (laughs) spoke over Jillian and didn't hear the latter half of what she just said to you. He also uh, justifies what happened on Temptation Island by saying that, like, in addition to working on himself, he felt that on the show there was an added-on mission of looking for a new partner. Like, who... uh, Sir. This is, like... It's, like, he really is saying all the things out loud that, like, people talk about with men that they, like, fuck up in relationships that usually men won't admit to, right? He's right. like, He's yeah, like, no, no, I no. wanted to line up my next partner. Obviously, I wanted to line up my next partner while I was still in a relationship. So I was just <laughs> doing that as well. And, like, I did say I love you just to make her chill the fuck out. Yes, I did do that. And it's like, listen, I did even- say I love you to my ex to um, fuck up her current potential relationship. Yeah, that's, yeah, don't you understand? But now like he, everyone, now we're clear, right? He doesn't seem to feel like sh- he doesn't exhibit any shame or like a sense that no. he knows that those are the oh, wrong zero. reasons to do things. Zero throughout this entire 
entire segment. Like, in incredible, incredible stuff. But he's like, look, I did grow. I <laughs> felt feelings. So. For the first time, probably. For the first time. I actually I'm like, felt feelings. So I did actually grow a lot. I'm like, that's great. How, that's- glad, you're, glad you're almost 30 and you just now have experienced feeling any emotions. I'm great. Yeah, there no one should of, be with you. There are a lot of other steps that come after learning to know that you have emotions in order to yeah like regulating them processing them (laughs) um reacting to them in healthy ways these are all important steps before you maybe bring someone else into your bullshit this is when mark is like alexa you're here and you had some perhaps harsh words for lascelles like how are you feeling kind of post-show and alexa's like was i really annoying yes did i say some annoying things Yes. Oh my God. That's so funny. My, uh, I have an Alexa. Oh my she God. could hear me. <laughs> Alexa, go to sleep. Oh God. That's so funny. She's listening. She's listening. Sorry. Um, but the Alexa of Temptation <laughs> Island owns, owns her annoying yeah. shit. And then is like, but LaSalle's, you did hook up with me in October. <laughs> and LaSalle's does not handle this well at all. Um, first, he's basically like, you're lying. Like, no. And then Juicy is like, well, I was right there, like next to you guys at the club with the rest of the cast that we were hanging out with. And we both heard you say that you wanted to kiss Alexa. We both heard you say... No, 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 no. That's not... It's not what happened. It's your fault. You did it to me. He's like, we both heard you say that... that They they say, we both heard you say that things were over with Trace. And he's like, I didn't. I said the opposite of that. And they're like, well, we both heard you say... He was like, no, I said, I'm really trying with Trace. And therefore, this would be untoward for me to indulge your feelings. Yeah. Like... He, the, like, his version is, like, I'm, like, no one, there's no chance you said that in the club while, like, sweaty and drunk. You were, like, I am trying to do what's right, which is to work things out with Trace. Yeah, okay, listen. Actually, you your whole ass. The scenario that they describe makes a lot of sense, which is they're all at a club. He's drunk. He wants to, to make out with Alexa. He says... I want to kiss you, but I, I'm worried someone will see, which is basically what he says. And then he, they're like, oh, is it Trace? And he's like, no, that's not a thing anymore. But just like, I just don't want it to be a thing, which is exactly what a guy would do if he 100%. wanted to cheat on his show girlfriend in public. 1,000% believe that this also, is exactly what happened. He also made out with Megan that night. Yeah, He's just, he's everywhere. And then they're like, LaSalle's, is this true that you made out with Megan? He's like, no, she made out with me. And everyone's like, okay, so the answer is yes. <laughs> he's like, they kissed me. They wanted to kiss me. They kissed And I'm they like, LaSalle's, you made, out with, you made out with a lot of women without wanting to make out with any women. You know, it's a little, something's not adding up. It was so bizarre. And then Alexa <sighs> rightly points out, she's like, I'm 5'2 and you're 6'2. Like, how do you think I... Like, just the logistics here. She caught him while he was leaning down to pick up something that fell on the floor. It could happen. 
twice to multiple women on one. Well, so at this point, Trace is now furious and emotional and crying because they were still trying to make it work at the time. This was before his visit to see her in L.A., and she had not heard about any of this. She is totally blindsided. A fuck boy. Mark asks for Lacelle's final thoughts, and he he goes with, Alexa, I can never trust you again. Every single person starts screaming at him. They're like, that's that's not the takeaway, dude. Like, every other, even, like, the sh- shitty dude is like, no, no. And he's like, wait, let, let me reprioritize. Let me reprioritize. I apologize. I just simply didn't tell the truth based on the trust I thought thought Alexa and I had. He's like, I've done it. I've solved it. This is my perfect statement. Everyone's like, Mark is, I think Mark says to him, LaSalle's, that's not trust. That's you pushing Alexa to conspire with you to actively keep a secret from other people. Trust is when you have an affair and your affair (laughs) partner doesn't tell your wife. That's what trust is. And at this point, everyone's done with him, including Ashley, who was like, wow, thank you. You're disgusting. I now am certain I'm never going back to you. And now I get to just continue on with the guy I'm talking to. Goodbye. And that's where it ends. It would really be incredible anytime you broke up with LaSalle's to just be able to watch this clip and be like, here's a man who does not actually know how to take ownership for the things that he has done. And I don't... Not a, I don't, not a single goddamn that. thing. Um, this was rough. I, you know, I've been very critical of LaSalle's, but I I really actually didn't see it going this badly. And it was pretty, pretty disappointing. Me either. This was beyond... Uh, uh, the next segment is also a tough one for, for different reasons. It's Jillian and Edgar. This one really bummed me out. This was really hard to watch for several reasons. One is that Jillian kind of does herself no favors in terms of optics because she goes really hard at Edgar. And he has come out with a different mindset, which is just keeping his head down and getting through it. And so she looks really mean. Like, she is yelling at him. She's like emotionally like crying and telling him how much he hurt her and I get it actually because after the final bonfire I felt like he was really unfair to her and like deflected every attempt that she made to hold him accountable for what he did wrong ever made everything her fault completely and you know put such heavy emphasis on things that hurt his feelings and then kind of dismissed things that he had done to hurt her that were kind of just, like, objectively worse. Like, bigger violations, violations of things they'd actually agreed on, etc. And I thought he was super unfair. And I think that maybe she has been stewing a bit because she I was going to say, the sense that I got is that she kind of remained calm and was very hurt in the moment with him and has since been just like watching all this playback and getting angrier and angrier and just was like prepared to explode it all out on him in this moment. But it just was so tonally not in line with his attitude in this moment that like she didn't come off as as sympathetic as I think she would have hoped. Because he, it seems like, 
or at least uh, this is how it comes off, has also been stewing on it and is now Getting, feeling the guilt that he, he probably bad. should have felt before. He's finally right. feeling the guilt. He's like, I I feel terrible after the show. I've been trying to give my, forgive myself for cheating on Jillian and lying to her, and it's been really hard. And this is not the tack he took at the final bonfire whatsoever, but he's ready to, like, feel guilty, and Jillian is finally ready to really to go feel hard. angry. Yeah. And so she is, like, losing her shit at him a little bit, and... There's no sympathy for her with the other people there, except for a couple of the other coupled women. Um, I hated this. This was awful. It made me really upset. We're seeing, like, a lot of, like, snide comments from Marissa and Paige and Tommy as Jillian is going after Edgar. They're kind of just, like, he's, like, a beaten dog right now. He's such a good dude. How dare she? Like, Tommy... Tommy turns to Marissa and is like, we did the same shit. And Marissa's like, yeah, you did it first. That's the issue. And, like, this is never addressed to Jillian. And it's just kind of cruel. And also from everything that we've seen from what Jillian said and from, uh, like, other people have backed her up. Like, what happened between the couples wasn't the same. Right. Like, Jillian is really telling to Edgar, like, it was so hard to watch you have sex with another woman. And Tommy's saying— And apparently, the first time he cheated on her, it also was a violation to that degree. Wait, really? So, like— Like, she saw it? No, but, like, they—he had slept with someone. Like, it wasn't— like, Oh, that no, was I know. What, he slept uh, yeah. with someone else. I mean, that she was saying, like, oh, oh no, no. I she had didn't have to, to watch see it, him. But I think it, I think mm-hmm. it was, like— okay, you already had cheated on me by having sex with someone else, and now I'm, like, having to watch you do that again. Yeah, exactly. Um, And and Tommy is saying, like, we did the same shit. And it's like, okay, but, like, that's not established anywhere else that, like, they had sex. Like, we haven't heard about it from anyone on the show. We didn't see it. This seems like it should be something that should be hashed out with Jillian on stage if Tommy is here to say we actually did have sex. And I'll say that Taylor commented on Instagram. It was, like, floating around Reddit being, like, every, you know, he was, like, everyone's, like, speculating. Like, he's, like, no. Like, Jillian and Tommy didn't do anything more than make out. Like, no. That didn't happen. Yeah. I mean, what are these fucking catty comments? Like, if you're not going to get up there and be, like, it wasn't shown, but we did have sex. And, like, that. You know, if that's not the case, then you didn't do the same shit. And Edgar was the one who broke their agreement. So I felt like what wasn't really being understood by that group of singles is the fact that trust in a relationship, like cheating, as like kind of Esther Perel always talks about, is not about even specific actions. It is about the boundaries that are mutually decided upon by a couple. And so Yes, was Jillian forming a connection with someone? Was she flirting with someone? Was she, like, hooking up with someone? Yes, but, like, they had agreed that that was fine. Right. Like, so Jillian wasn't upset when she saw Edgar, like, making an emotional connection, reading love poetry to Marissa. Like, what they had agreed upon was you are not allowed to have sex with someone else. Right. And to do it, like, in this really showy way, loudly, where they knew they would be filmed, like, 
it's of a course fuck you. she felt of course she felt like it was a fuck you. I think it was as well. And she's being treated as this really irrational, kind of like emotionally abusive woman. And like it's certainly always possible that they know more that we don't, but it seems to fall pretty neatly into some pretty misogynistic expectations of how men and women should should yeah. handle and themselves. I'm in these fucking situations. sorry, but I don't trust Tommy at all. I don't trust Tommy and I don't I don't think that it speaks well of their perspective that they go on, everyone goes on to kind of take Edgar's side over the question of like her comment about the promise ring is like the real crime here. Like Tommy is like, that did really suck to hear. Like that was awful. And I was like, Tommy, Tommy, he fucked someone else on camera. Like, what are you talking about? Like, also, she didn't even take it off. She, she said, yeah. I don't know if I'm supposed to be wearing this. I hadn't thought about it until just now. Like, that is, that. Uh, we're I, we're just, literally talking about whether she, is, whether she is the greater uh, uh, criminal in this relationship because she talked about maybe taking off a promise ring that he gave her. Why? As an apology for cheating on her before. Like, is that it's just the greater crime than him cheating on her again? Bizarre like, given the fact that Edgar seems to have come to the table being like, no, I really fucked up. Yeah. And, and, I and do- it is it, it does betray this odd thing where, like, I think some of the women are like, well, he admitted it. So, like, can't just, like, go easy. Like, go yeah. easy on him now. Like, I, he's one of the good ones. I get that it's, like, it, I do think it's uncomfortable to watch her go after him when he's not defending himself. And... I sort of wish that she had done herself a bit of a favor here and and played it a little bit more cool. But I'm sorry, I'm just not taking her side against her based on the facts on the table. Um, also, like, Marissa is like, oh, he's such a good guy. He's so good to me. And then when she joins the couch, she's like, yeah, he did, he did lead, lead me, on, me on in a way. Like, he did ask me to leave the island, but then it was just over. And, and he's like, it can never be a thing again. And so that does suck, but he's such a good guy. And I'm like, oh, Marissa. I'm like, oh, Can God. you just accept that, like, he he discarded you? Me, like, he treated like, you really carelessly? It felt to me like Mar- Marissa was like, this is Jillian's fault. Like, that yeah. was sort of her narrative that, like, yeah, Jillian did a number on him, and that's why he can't be with me. Rather than, like, what Edgar's actually saying, which is, like, I should have never gotten into a relationship with someone else. yeah. Yeah. And, like, he probably shouldn't have, so. He absolutely shouldn't have. I don't think Edgar is some, like, horrible person. And I think he lo- yeah. he's much younger than LaSalle's. And he does seem to be able to kind of process when he does something wrong. And it's like, okay, you do need to be by yourself to yeah. figure out how you can modulate your reactions in these situations when you feel insecure um, to not harm people. And you need to realize that before you do the thing. Yeah. Not after. They end up having, like, a whole thing about the promise ring as well. And he really is, like, kind of taking the t- the same tack, but is a little bit more recognizing the fact that, like, maybe it wasn't a fair reaction, that he'd gotten his head about it. He spiraled a little bit just seeing that from her. But, like, you know, it wasn't maybe this this big malicious thing that he felt like it was at first. But he also is like, I didn't act out, though. And Ash is like, didn't you kind of act out? 
out? And he's like, later, he's like, so it's different. Yeah, he and Marissa are like, no, because we just waited for a few weeks. So. Yeah. And then we acted out after Mar- after Jillian looked at Tommy with eyes of love. And so it was different. Um, yeah, she's, Jillian is also, I think, still processing a lot of stuff from the bonfire. She's like, a lot of blame was placed on me for this comment about the promise ring, which was not meant as disrespect. And I did keep it on. A lot of blame was placed on me for bringing you to the island when I kept asking you if you were sure you wanted to do it. And you said yes. Um, which also Edgar then, also admits. That- yeah. He's like, I thought yes. I could, but I couldn't. Which, like, fair enough. But, like, you did say that you Take could. responsibility. Also, she's like, you told me you were leaving alone, and then you left with Marissa. Like, there's a lot of stuff unresolved from a bonfire where I think he handled himself pretty poorly. It's also fascinating because clearly Jillian is, like, not that upset about Tommy. Like, she hardly addresses him. And so oh, yeah. he seems to take this opportunity to be like, well, fuck Jillian. Like, Edgar's the victim here. Yeah. It's like, Tommy, I don't trust you as far as I can throw you. Like, yeah. Goodbye. I, that, uh, the way that, that men are so quick to, like, bro out with each other over women that they've fucked over is just, like, it's not cute. Um, I, I hope that they both find peace and happiness after this. She was really mad. He was really wounded. But I think that after this, maybe they can come to a more peaceful place with each other. It seems like there was so much love there and... Yeah, I think they're both so, so young. And they're both so young. And like my takeaway from them was that they're both just young and they didn't know how to end a relationship when it had run its course. And instead they did things that that hurt each other. Um, yeah. And they will both like hopefully spend some time being single, learn to love themselves, learn to know themselves better. And they're both going to be fine. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, next, Ash and Hanya. Um, this this was a, a curveball for me. This was not rough in the way that I expected. But basically, they come up to the sofa and sort of express that they are still talking, but definitely not in a romantic way. Ash is like, I've yelled a lot at Hanya. I don't have time to raise another person. There are books that he can read. And Karina's like snapping and being like, yeah, Karina's like, I put in that labor. Go read a book, (laughs) sir. Use Google. Yeah. And Hanya's like, yes, I've been so depressed since the show. I haven't been a safe person for people or for myself. I've been so toxic with myself. He always says this and I'm like, how though? Like in what way? Yeah, he's like, he's like, yes, I do victimize other people, but who's the biggest victim here? Me and my And it's soul. always like, yeah, I've been toxic for myself by hurting other people and then I have to feel bad about it. And I'm like, <laughs> let's start with other people here and then maybe you will work backward to feeling good about yourself again. Um, his new shtick throughout this whole thing is just like, I'm so grateful for the cautious friendship of these strong women that I demeaned (laughs) and abused. And I'm only beginning to learn the lessons that they taught me on the island and before. And they were so, they were, I could not have survived without these strong women. He's like, did I continue to act poorly (laughs) afterwards? Yes. Yes. But I, but as I said... This is only the beginning. <laughs> oh, my God. He's just so, like, I think he believes what he's saying, but he's just Ugh. so full of his own shit that I, 
yeah. have no, it's like there's no way to know if he actually absorbed anything. Yeah. It's hard because I do want to obviously always leave space for growth and like, who among us has not had to apologize many times for doing the same thing because growth is a painful and slow process. But there's something about the way that he seems to enjoy the role of, like, self-abasing and apologizing and the fact that the actual actions don't seem to be changing that much, but he's just, like, really enjoying being like, I did do that and I own that and I'm so sorry that I took advantage of a strong woman like you and used you again. That you're just, like, I think that you're just, like, settling into this new, like, talking the talk and not walking the walk version of yourself. Yeah, I'm I'm sus. Let's put it uh, yeah. that way. Karina, Karina comes up. Yeah. Yeah. And is like, I did like that he was so validating of how, how, how much I helped him, but then, like, we left the island and nothing. Like, he never reached out at all. And she says, like Ash said, it must be so freeing to discard people. And Hanya's like, yes, I did discard you. <laughs> yes, true. Yes. yes, I own that. I own that. And I... I see how you felt that way. And you did mean so much to me on the island. On the island. Yeah. Through the through the veil on into this secluded world, which exists in an alternate time-space reality. That in that world you did mean a lot to me. And then he's like, also, you didn't reach out either, babe. And I'm like, Karina owes you nothing. Like, she has done nothing but pour her skills and her empathy and attention into you. She doesn't need to fucking reach out. All she needs to do is give you a number that works. And I bet you she did. She definitely did. Which Karina is also like, FYI, you said some shit to me and some of the other women that was like really degrading. And we've still been processing that. And he's like, yes. Yes. I, yes, I, did. I did do that. That was so, <laughs> so me. So me to do that stuff. Taylor then uh, joins the conversation and there is no warmth. No warmth. Ash looks annoyed. And they talk a little bit about their attraction to each other. And Taylor says that his attraction to Ash was, quote, the experience in itself. He speaks so much bullshit. He's basically like, what was I attracted to about Ash? Like, basically his answer is like, nothing. I just liked being there. Like, being her, being an island boyfriend who is helping Ash become a better person. Like... You were attracted to the experience? Like, fuck off. Yeah, he he also says the most annoying thing where, again, he's, like, almost, like, self-victimizing. He's like, what was hard for me is that I was being so helpful to this person, and then I had to fear. Did I not help at all? And that was hard for me. Yeah. And at this point, what if Ash all my help rolls their eyes? Right. What if all my help was for nothing? And at this point, Ash rolls their eyes and is like, yeah, he did make sure to personally torture me about my feelings of insecurity about someone that I have was literally going through this experience with. And the minute that they said that, I was like, you know what? Yeah, it was kind of fucking weird that Taylor was constantly kind of testing them. Yeah, I really didn't like the way that I like I was like, sure, yes, Taylor's a person they've been in a relationship. I can understand him being upset that Ash was like, I might just go back to to Hanya. Maybe Hanya's the only person that will ever fully accept me. I could see being hurt by that, but then it became clear that it came down to like Taylor has set a test for Ash. 
And he just really wants Ash to, like, pass that test and prove to him that they are, like, strong. And that's not really a healthy dynamic. And I think that that is a a dynamic that existed a little bit with Tommy, too. That was just, like, I'm just here to, like, coach you up. And, like, that's my only real interest in you. Not even really as a person, but just, like, is my, you know, is my coaching good? Like, am I fixing you? Um, Yeah, I agree. And... Mark asks if they've talked since, and Ash says, he gave me a fake phone number. And Taylor's like, yes, I did. I absolutely did do that. This is, I I gasped. This is sociopathic behavior. He literally was like, call me whenever you need me. I will be there. Right, like, and, My okay, eyes twitching. From what, from what we saw, it's not like Ash was trying to bully him into being in a relationship with them. Like, they both seemed to mutually agree that they weren't going to be in a romantic relationship, but that they were going to stay connected, which is a very reasonable expectation. And giving someone a fake phone number is crazy behavior. Like, even Hanya at this point is like, why didn't you just say you didn't want to give her your number then? Which, point for Hanya. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, and what Taylor says is, well, we never agreed that we'd be dating. We just had great conversations. Like, we never said it was destiny. And, like, that is not a reason to give someone a fake phone number. You give them a a fake phone number because, like, they've approached you for your phone number and they're a stranger or they're someone who has been really violating your boundaries and you feel afraid and uncomfortable of what they would do if they had your phone number. That is why you give a fake phone number. Or you're a huge dick and you want to disappear. mm. But again, weird flex because you knew you had to film this reunion. So, yeah. Ash is like, don't act like that's the reason you're a dick. And he's like, whatever, man. He's like, not. And he gets off so easy. They just kind of move on. Except Tanya gets a single moment to be happy because finally he's found another man who has sucked as much to Ash as he has. He, I have never seen someone so gleeful about the fact that someone else behaved really badly. He's like, we're the same. We're both monsters. Isn't it great? (laughs) Terrible. It's terrible that we both did that. At this point, the single ladies do rise up for Ash. It is nice to see at last a little bit of solidarity. Uh, Juicy is like, you started out so timid and beaten down, and we all understand why, because we've met Hanya. But then you were like, by the end, you were really a bad bitch. And like, we really just like are so inspired by you. And all the women are like, that's correct. We are obsessed with you. And I was like, same. Love that. Love that for Ash. They deserve the world. Um, I think that it's really telling that, like, Edgar was beloved in the house and, like, is such a soft boy. And I get it. I do. I don't think that he's uh, a terrible person. He seems like he has many good qualities. Hanya was, like, not liked by the house, even though they were all trying really hard to do their best. And so they, of course, have much more sympathy for Ash than for Jillian. Um, But a really nice guy can still cheat on someone repeatedly and make them feel like garbage. So just a quick reminder to to everyone out there. Um, This brings us to Iris and Luke, who are still engaged as of this taping. They seem happy. Iris is like, he's actually doing great. Luke is like, I am paying for dates now sometimes. And I love being (laughs) open about my emotions with Iris, my fiance, who I love. We get a little segment with some of these single women who were 
involved even sounds like too strong of a word, but, you know, flirt in flirtation with Luke. We see some clips of, like, Luke grabbing Paige's ass during a party. Um, and Yeah, they do a lot of, like, cuddling together in in their, like, like, swimsuits and stuff. She asks at one point to sneak into a bathroom to hook up, but we don't actually see that happen. After this montage, Luke is like, I did, okay, yes, I did. Now that I'm watching it back, I did actually do things that I should not have done, probably, strictly speaking. (laughs) Uh, But Iris is like, Luke was honest with me about everything that happened. He was honest with me that he had messaged with Paige on Instagram. Like, yeah, he was honest. And that was kind of the point here. And Juicy's like, uh, again, I am concerned that you aren't mad enough because he thought I was hot. He flirted with me. Mm, He really thought I was hot. Just need to establish that again. Luke (laughs) thought I was hot and would have been tempted by me. (laughs) He was the most attracted to me. He said that and he can try to deny it now, but he did say it. And yeah, Iris is like, yeah, that's fine. It wasn't a secret. We agreed to do this experience. Like it was fine. Iris is like the most even keeled person I've ever seen. It's, I aspire. That's how she was still with Luke, even though she has multiple times caught him texting flirtatiously with his exes. Yeah, like, I think, you know, having better boundaries is something I want for for Iris, and I hope she has established. But, like, she just really is able to just take things in and take a beat and be like, well, this is a thing that violated boundaries we had. This is a thing that didn't that I know about. So... Yeah. It's actually all fine. It's fine. And then Luke is like, I'm like, I'm a changed man. I just used to get really jealous because Iris always got compliments and I didn't get compliments. Honestly, everyone, the takeaway here is compliment men. Their egos are just as fragile as ours. <laughs> and he uh, got over that. And since then, he's been able to let her go to Vegas for work. At this point, Which is an Ash, incredible sentence. Ash he's letting cannot, her do her job. He's, yeah, it's so generous. And Ash just explodes at this. It turns out Ash has forever hated Luke. Yeah, they're like, I still uh, think you probably slept with someone on the show, and Iris just I'm doesn't like, know. Ash, I think you might be projecting Hanya onto Luke, which it, I get I mean, it. Who knows? It's but, possible, but yeah, it could go either way. Is my point. Um, yeah, and Ash is just like Iris knows that I hate him, and I still hate him, and you. Like, Iris doesn't belong to you, dude. Like, how do you let her go to work? That's, like, insane. Yeah. And Ash That's is correct. correct. Yeah. Um, but Iris is like, yes, it's not okay that I have felt that way in the past. But, like, we're really doing better now. And on that note, Iris is like, we do want to get married in two years in Santorini. So setting a calendar reminder. Can't wait for my invite along with the rest of the Tempty Nation, as I'm going to dub them. <laughs> we, we, we've been here for this couple every step of the way. I want to see their, their wedding in Greece. Overall takeaways. Oh, my Again, God. heterosexuality. A curse for women, a boon for straight men. It is just incredible to see at the end of Temptation Island how basically every woman who was in, like, a meaningful sort of emotional entanglement with one of the guys is just alone and traumatized alone and traumatized like did the guy love her he still traumatized her did the guy not love her he definitely traumatized her 
And the guys are all just like, wow, I know how to feel emotions now. Like, like, what I am I going to do with feeling. that? Incredible stuff for me. <laughs> I just can't. I can't. It was just super depressing to, to, um, to absorb. I wish for, I wish for better for all these women, truly. And I wish for deliverance, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so excited to just take a, a brief break to rinse my brain of the suffering that goes along with watching actual men and women date on TV and and to maybe take refuge for the month of June in some scripted shows where we can actually see men behaving well because the writers are telling them to. Because it's a fantasy. Because <laughs> it's a fantasy. And on that note, that's it for Love to See It with Emma and Claire. Love to See It is produced by us, Claire Fallon and Emma Gray and Stitcher. This episode was edited by Tamika Weatherspoon. Our theme music is by Tamar Haviv and our art is by Celine Chang. Josephine Martirana is our executive producer. If you like the show, please rate us five stars and leave a review. And of course, help us spread the word about our show, especially to your friends who used to listen to us as Here to Make Friends. If you want to get in touch, you can email us at claireandemmapod at gmail.com with your questions, voice memos, and suggestions for anything you'd like to see us cover in the Bachelor offseason and beyond. You can also find us on Twitter and TikTok at Love to See It Pod and Instagram at Claire and Emma Pod. And you can find our newsletter rich text on Substack at ClaireandEmma.substack.com. I'm on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok at Emma Lady Rose. And I'm at Claire E. Fallon. We are taking next week off. I hope that all of you have a restful holiday weekend, but we will be back soon with just a little warm weather treat for everyone. We are kicking off a summer romance flick series, which we are dubbing Summer Lovin', to get us through those long June weeks before The Bachelorette returns. And first up, we will be recapping and discussing Dirty Dancing. Stitcher.